Hey everybody, it's Dylan, your podcast host. Just a couple things before we get started with the show. First, I wanted to thank SAP for sponsoring this episode of Z Prime on the Grid. And second, we talk a lot about natural disaster relief in this podcast, and I bring up some of the numbers of people in Puerto Rico who don't have power. This episode was recorded before the major power outage in April that knocked out power for the whole island again, and so those numbers might not be exactly accurate anymore, though according to NPR, at least 90,000 Puerto Ricans are without power as of a week ago. Uh, But the principle more or less remains the same in regards to the overall message about grid resiliency. And that's everything. Please enjoy the show. everybody, and welcome to Z Prime on the Grid, our show about issues concerning the energy industry. I am your host, Dylan Lockwood. Uh, joining me, as always, is Christine Richards. How are you today, Christine? I'm good. How are you, Dylan? Uh, I'm doing great, although I think I'm coming down with a cold, so if my voice sounds a little, <clears throat> that's why. <laughs> that, that was a lovely sound. Yeah. That's... We've also got our research analyst, Aaron Hardick, on. How are you today, Aaron? I'm good, Dylan. I have made the mistake of forgetting to take my allergy medicine this morning, and Christine knows how bad my allergies are. So I'm in the same boat as you. I may have a little, I may have a cough here and there or a little sniffle, um, but but I'm doing pretty good this morning aside from my allergies being a little overwhelming. Are, are you still in San Francisco, Aaron, or are you... Where is Aaron right now? Where do you think I am, Christine? <laughs> I think you're in San Francisco. That's my guess. Ding, ding, ding. Okay. That's correct. I leave um, this afternoon around four. And joining us today as our guest, we have Gregory Knight. He is the Chief Customer Officer and SVP of Sales, Marketing, and Customer Service and Claims for Centerpoint Energy in Houston. How are you doing today, Greg? I'm doing great. Thank you for asking. Uh, But I don't want to be left out. I have allergy issues today as well. The pollen count is at a record high in Houston, so we're all one big gang today. So you guys at Centerpoint, you're the transmission and distribution utility for the Houston area, among other things. Um, And one of the things I wanted to talk about it, because it's unique to that area, was your infrastructure took a lot of the brunt of Hurricane Harvey. So Mm -hmm. uh, after... You know, after working on that, I mean, I'm presumably you're still working on it to some degree, but I know I also saw that Centerpoint's also been helping out with hurricane relief, both with Irma in Florida and Maria in Puerto Rico. As, as recently as last month, you guys deployed some employees to help in Puerto Rico. So uh, through all of that, what have you learned about grid resiliency and disaster response, uh, both from the way Centerpoint handled Harvey and the way that other other actors handled significant disasters in 2017. You know, I, I guess one thing I would say is that um, don't mess with Mother Nature. Um, the grid still is not impervious to her whims, and so you know, Center Point, very much like other territories, um, falls victim to you know water, wind, um, 
freezing weather and other types of, you know, natural occurrences. I would say, however, though, that, that from, a, from a bright perspective, I do think that recent investments in grid modernization has helped us sort of ride through these events in some, so much more of a more resilient sort of a manner. So whether that's our grid automation in our center point territory that helped us, you know, restore power to customers, businesses, and homes quicker or our sort of digital communications platforms. I'd say that if we looked back at this event and were compared that to, you know, similar types of storms several years ago, we were in much better shape just because of grid modern grid modernization investments that we have been making um, in terms of, you know, automated switching, smart meters, uh, digital communications, preferences that allow customers to get just-in-time um, awareness around restoration expectations, and then I'd be remiss to leave out social media. So this past event was probably the first time that we really were able to really demonstrate the power of social media in um, this type of scaled event, and we really were fighting a war on several fronts, if you want to call it a war. You know, you had our field crews out there battling water and um, rain, and then you had our customer operations people out there, you know, battling the digital channels. So really working together, not just trying to think about, you know, where to restore, um, who to restore, how quickly can we restore, but also um, in really an equal amount of focus on who to communicate to, how to communicate, and when to communicate. And so this was very interesting for us. We're really proud of how we performed. I think we all looked around the table when we did our postmortem and said, you know, obviously our field crews performed valiantly as they normally do, but we really took a step um, a step change forward in terms of the digital communication. And if I had to just maybe think about um, Puerto Rico and Florida and some of the um, issues that they incurred, you know, similar and different in some ways just because of, you know, terrain or weather conditions. But, you know, the mutual assistance process that's been stood up by the utility community um, benefits Centerpoint and then Florida alike. And then, as you stated, we had several crews to go down to Puerto Rico and help with that restoration as well. So just really proud that we could be a part of, you know, getting our communities back up and working. Yeah, uh I kind of want to ask a quick follow-up about that interconnection or about that sort of comparison because, yeah, it seems that uh, Houston's back up and running, Florida, Florida's back up and running, uh, but there's still 11% of Puerto Ricans, over 103,000 people as of today, still don't have power. Uh, so uh, what do you think is the sort of the breakdown with with that? Do you, is, it a, is it about how the severity of the storm is it is it a problem with the utility some other sort of systemic issue what uh what what, what can we learn from the from that uh, uh i want to use my noun carefully here disaster you know I, I really don't know enough about the local utility to you know to draw criticism on them i can say that if you looked at other parts of the caribbean um, around sort of that same time frame, they were also affected in similar ways, you know, that Puerto Rico was in terms of the 
the level of devastation. So um, I think one of one of Puerto Rico's challenges, as I understand it, and, and I'm not on the operation side, so, you know, I, I get to hear some of the conversations about, you know, what people have observed or what our crews were going to contend with were just big infrastructure problems that span rainforest, for example. So if you think about Centerpoint in our Houston metro area and you think about our circuits or our equipment, it's pretty much in an urban area. So accessibility issues um, that we incur tend to be things like deep water or um, maybe other types of issues that could be related to ice if this were a winter event or something like that. You know, I think Puerto Rico was totally different because you have generation plants and you have transmission lines spanning through tropical rainforest. So, you know, one of the big problems for them is just accessibility. You can't really just drive a truck down a transmission line. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and so they, they're just the, the geography, the terrain created a totally different paradigm for them. I would probably, I think it's pretty clear that their utility was not equipped to deal with that level of damage. And, you know, whereas we have uh, mutual assistance where we send crews to Florida or we might send crews to Dallas and they send them to us, they're all driving down I-10 or I-45 or these you know, interstates that have been buttressed by, you know, taxpayers and, you know, investments from our states or other communities. And, you know, when we sent our crews over to Puerto Rico, we had to load equipment on a barge and our people had to fly over there in airplanes. So I think you're dealing with two really totally distinct scenarios when you're talking about damage and restoration efforts stateside versus a, you know, U.S. territory like Puerto Rico, where we're separated by, you know, a significant body of water, to be candid. Um, and if you thought about um, even stateside restoration pre, you know, any kind of mutual assistance, if we didn't have crews, for example, you know, that might come from Duke Energy to help center point out in a Harvey or vice versa, you know, we may, we may have similar challenges, at least to the extent that it would probably take us much longer to get our own infrastructure back up. So I guess the net of it is I think there are some advantages that we have stateside in terms of accessibility and then there's the cadence that we have in terms of, you know, sister utilities working together to kind of, you know, get our communities back up and running. So I'm curious, since you're the chief customer officer, you deal in customer relations, how do how you deal with customer relations during a difficult period like a massive hurricane? Is there a lot of like communal understanding? Is there a lot of frustration? Like, you know, like people saying, it's been a week, where the hell is my power calling in every day about <laughs> that sort of thing? Uh, what, what, what's, what's that environment like? I think yes to all, right? So, you know, what you typically, and, you know, social media, I would say, has given us a greater insight into, you know, sentiment monitoring, right? And so what you typically see is on the first couple of days, everybody's really understanding and are we, we're all in this together and, you know, you know, go community, right? Uh, but the longer those outage, um, those outages extend, I think the the less patient, the customers become. And that's understandable, quite candidly. You know, there are certain customers who are handicapped or who have medical needs or other types of things. And so, you know, something as simple as medical supply, you know, what was really interesting about some of the um, 
some of the events that we had in Houston this past year wasn't just flooding and rain. We also had some some winter events that stopped um, FedEx and other you know shipping companies from delivering, so people can't get medicine. So I think that you know people tend to be pretty patient up front, and then over time, you know that patience kind of diminishes. And so the way that we've tried to deal with that is with you know providing customers better situational awareness and on-site um, information specific as we can get to them. Because prior to grid modernization and digitization, our ability to tell you specifically what was going on at your home was very limited. We really had to focus more on, you know, the entire system. And so we've made quite a few advancements in getting more personal and more premise specific in terms of communicating, you know, when you're back on. And then I think the real benefit is whether you're on or not, you now have the information that you need to make different plans. And, um, yeah, so. Greg, I have a question just around uh I mean, this whole conversation of, you know, what happens during disasters and, and how utilities respond to these disasters with their customers. I always have a lot of interest in how, you know, utilities as organizations are, are structured and, and, you know, how different departments and groups work together uh, to accomplish, you know, the different tasks that, that utilities need to do. Could you talk a little bit about, you know, during um, these sorts of disasters, you know, how how on that that customer side and the digital communication side that you talked about, um, you know, how groups within CenterPoint really work together to to make all this happen. Sure. So it starts with a it starts with a lot of preparation and a practice before hurricane season for us, and then because we sit in Hurricane Alley. And we drill, you know, storm season, I think that comes in handy when we also have an event outside of a storm season. So CenterPoint has adopted the incident command system process that is really used by government entities. And we did that so that as we're working with, you know, emergency responders, we kind of talk the same um, the same language. So if you look at fire department, and I believe, I don't, don't quote me on this, but I think other law enforcement Others use the incident command system, but it's a methodology by which you respond to events, and it really uh, articulates what a command and control process really looks like so that you can effectively coordinate all of your resources. So for us, we call it um, EOP, and that's emergency operations procedures. So in an incident like Harvey, um, we have weather predictors that are already um, giving us insight to the significance of an event, and we're already making predictions, or at least attempting to make predictions, around the level of damage that we might incur, um, what part of the system might be damaged more than others, whether it would be a wind event or a rain event. And so we're trying to anticipate what's coming. And the way that that's benefited utilities is that we start pre-staging equipment in the locations where we feel like damage will be most incurred. Or you could be removing assets from where damage could 
be most felt because that damage could in, it could inherently Im, impair our abilities to restore. So it really starts there. So, you know, we really drill these events um, between our field operation guys, our customer service groups, our IT teams, as well as our logistics support groups. So when Centerpoint is looking at a, a, a Hurricane Harvey-like incident, um, almost every employee in the company has an assignment for this emergency operation procedure. So let's say that you're an account and finance role, if we go into emergency operations procedures, your role could now be at a staging site. So you actually would leave, you would actually leave your accounting job and you might be at a staging site in Fort Bend County somewhere. So what we really do is we take all of the collective assets of the company and we redeploy them around restoring, you know, power to the to uh, the community. And that's probably one of the biggest things that kind of helps us respond and get that cadence. And then everybody in that sort of command structure kind of walks to the same beat. And so it, it's almost like a, a military or a law enforcement event where we're having that call at the beginning of the day and we're making it very clear what are the objectives for the day. You're checking in a couple of hours later and people get on a call and they give their statuses. And then you might check in a couple of hours later what progress have we made. And, you know, so it really is quite uh, complex, uh, coordinated, and then, of course, it's highly impactful to our employees. And just one example around the customer, our actual customer care people get pre-staged in a hotel adjacent to our phone center. So they stay at a hotel for the duration of ELP, and so they are not with their families during that event, just as an example. So, Greg, um, these these events, these natural disasters, you know, they've been really impactful in our communities and living in Texas, you know, I feel like I know everyone who's known someone who was yep. impacted by Harvey. Um, but right. it's not just the customers that get impacted, it's your employees as well. So how did you Absolutely. guys and um, the upper level management role, you know, keep morale up and keep continuing on with these emergency procedures, um, knowing that, you know, some, your your employees were also um, heavily impacted by this event um, and, and the personal side of their life. How did you continue, you know, to keep them going and, and um, rebuild the community? Well, I, you know, we would be nothing without our dedicated force of employees, you know, and, and the example that I gave around accounting is that that's a perfect example that you might not, you might not be aware that it's not just a field person that's out there that's a part of the uh, restoration event. It's actually every department and every employee we can get our hands on. And, you know, the, the the interesting thing about our employees, our employees are really essentially in a storm. And when we get into restoration, first responders. And so if I just took my customer service organization where you have employees that, you know, take calls for customers calling in, they actually, um, leading up to the event, go into a hotel and they're really there during the event. They're not going home. They're they're basically going from their hotel and they're taking the sky bridge over to the phone center. They're working 12-hour shifts. And then, you know, they're going back to their hotel. And at the meantime, their families may be being affected by the storm. That's how committed these employees are. Now, one of the things that Centerpoint, I think, does a really great job of is, is we stand up crews to go help our employees' families. So let's just say I had an employee who 
was impacted by a wind event and now their roof is damaged. We actually have contractors that will go and actually tarp that employee's roof while the employee is at the event and then that helps them so they don't have to worry about that part of it, if that makes sense. So if I have an agent who's actually talking to customers about emergency events like down power lines or, you know, somebody's calling because they have an elderly, you know, parent who needs to get medical attention or whatever, you know, we don't want our employees having to worry about the fact that water is just gushing into my home. So the company has set up, you know, services to at least from a first response, help stabilize the customer, I mean, the employee's home or help with their family. And then one of the great things that CenterPoint did coming out of this event is that we also set aside an employee fund. We actually had employees that lost property. You know, I had an employee that lost her entire home, and there was a fund set up where the company put money forward and employees donated, and that was... um, that money was granted to our employees who are infected by by the storm and any parts of our territories. You know, we actually operate in Texas, Louisiana, Arkansas, Mississippi, Oklahoma. You know, we we are multi-state utility, and we do have employees that get impacted beyond what's happening in Houston. And so, you know, we had multiple employees in multiple places that we end up needing to reach out to and try to support. I don't know if that answered your question. I did. I mean, that's, that's great. That's awesome that you, you know, helped them out. I couldn't imagine, you know, going to work and it's a time of such chaos. And then also thinking about, you know, what, what about my wife and kids at home or my husband at home? Yeah, that, that's amazing. Yeah, there's a number that employees can call, and if they need assistance, these contractors go out and help their families or their home, and then that just helps them keep their attention and focus on our customers and getting the community back up and running. Maybe one observation that I would make, though, is that, you know, Harvey was uniquely (laughs) interesting because it was a water event, right? So if you were watching CNN or any, you know, national news or local for that matter, you saw, you know, parts of the city that were literally underwater. And, you know, interestingly enough, utility employees typically live in the community that they serve, (laughs) right? Because the jobs that we have usually, you know, provide a service. We have a connection to your home. So we typically are in that community to maintain that connection. So it's not like we have people in New York in our phone centers or in our accounting centers worried about getting Houston back up. These are people that live in the community. And then I think what you find is you find this real commitment and this real attachment to the community that we're serving because we live there as well. And so the fact that we can, you know, perform well or excellent in a um, incident like that, we end up hearing about it when we go to the supermarket or our neighbors come by and thank us. You know, it's really, the utility really has a unique role in terms of what it does in the community. And we're all connected in this really interesting kind of way. So when we're out there performing to get our city back up, we're getting our parents back up, we're getting our neighbors back up, we're getting our hospitals back up. So we really have skin in the game. Right. I have to agree with the city um, did a fantastic job of rallying together, um, getting everybody excited to continue to improve and and come back from this. I have uh, friends that live in um, the sixth ward, the downtown historic district. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, um, 
her my high school or my college roommate her mom was a photographer and I remember seeing all these pictures of downtown Houston just completely underwater um, that she was taking from their front porch which was unbelievable yep. but um, <laughs> even then you know they're they were getting um, you know they had like a boat come and pick them up and take them into into the city and take them to get some supplies and would take them back. And that happened for about a week, but just um, between, you know, the social media, um, the Houston strong hashtag Houston strong uh, movement was really impactful in the community. And I thought, you know, the community, the Houston community did an amazing job of um, just staying strong and staying together and, and moving forward. Yeah. And you, you might recall that, that you had a lot of um, everyday, you know, um, Houstonites who were out there in boats, people coming from Louisiana, you know, I, I think they've been branded the Cajun Navy, <laughs> you know, the folks that were out there in their boats trying to help, you know, rescue people from flooding waters. You know, when you really get into an event like that, uh, you know, government is stretched literally beyond its normal means, if you will. And so you really see the profile of a community um when that situation is occurring, or maybe said a different way, you see the best of us when the worst of us is happening to us. And in that regard, I think that, you know, as proud Houstonians, that really is a reflection of really kind of how we see ourselves. We're kind of, you know, we're all in this thing together. And, um, you know, certainly one of the commitments that we made going forward as a result of our investments in grid modernization was how do we now take this digitization of the grid and how, how do we extend that into the customer's home and how do we communicate? And so, you know, we have branded a service called Power Alert Service. And Power Alert Service is essentially our proactive outage notification platform. So it basically, based on the customer's preference, will send you a text, email, or phone call. And it will let you know that your power is out. It will let you know that what your restoration times are. Um, if we are going to be off on those restoration times, we'll follow up and give you an update on that restoration time. And when your power is back on, we'll tell you you're back on. Now, when you get into um, a high-severity event such as Harvey, the the fully sort of autonomous or intelligent digitization platform, um, its ability to be accurate in its predictions sort of diminishes. But we do have the ability to go into a manual mode. So what we call it is we transition from that one-to-one discussion between us and your premise, and then we go to a one-to-many. So then we may be communicating with specific specific parts of the city, like a Kingwood or a Bel Air or a Sugarland, where we now manually, where our customer operations team is working with our uh, field distribution operations crews to now get manual situation awareness around how quickly certain neighborhoods in Sugarland are going to be back up or Bel Air. If you think about Center point territory, <laughs> it's a fairly large territory. So you could have flooding in one part of the city and you could have, you know, trees on a power line in another part of the city and the restoration times couldn't be more different. So we've adopted a strategy that says we want to be as personal as we can. So even if I can't tell you what's specifically going on at your home, We've developed a strategy to say I can tell you what's specifically going on in your area. And one of the things that we set up during Harvey were Facebook pages for each of our 12 different service centers. So if you got a message from CenterPoint 
you just didn't go to a single page. You went to a page about your neighborhood, and we had specific updates for you. And um, we really, that was the first time we did that during Harvey. And I'll tell you, it, when I'm out in the community, I always take the time to ask customers, well, how do we do? What's your thoughts about CenterPoint? I guess that's my job as a chief customer officer. Overwhelmingly, customers just really raved about how we communicated. So we were very proud of that. Correct me if I'm wrong. Sort of the conclusion we've come to is, is that the uh, sort of the, the modernization and digitization of the grid has been useful in helping mobilize people and keep people informed to most efficiently aid with recovery efforts, right? So it's 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 not just that technology came in and saved the day, and it's not just that the community is awesome, but, but combining those two things led to a, a, a speedier, uh, more full-hearted recovery effort. Is that right? Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks to, thanks to CenterPoint, thanks to the community, thanks to technology, and thanks to J.J. Watt. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and that World Series win was the, the icing on the cake, huh? Fantastic. We loved it. As a, as a Mariners fan, I will stay silent, like I have for 20 years. <laughs> well, remember, Houston was waiting a long time, too, so... I'm a Kansas City Royals fan, Dylan, and it was about 30 years, and then they they finally won. So, yeah, see, you lost me There's at finally hope. won. <laughs> <laughs> There's hope. Kansas City was it was very dark times for a, a long time uh, in terms of the Royals. Do you know? Speaking of the Texans, do you know Arian Foster has a podcast? Shout out to Arian Foster's podcast. <laughs> I did not know he had a podcast. Yeah, he's uh, he's going around learning about learning about issues affecting people in communities around the country that he, he didn't that he wants to learn about. It was, uh, it's, wow. it's actually it's actually pretty interesting. I didn't uh, know that he was doing that. So yeah, shout out to Arian Foster's podcast, who's with the, the name of which I cannot remember. <laughs> so so when you all are having sort of water cooler or coffee bar conversation about utilities and storm restoration. What's the conversation around the water cooler? Are they doing well? Are they underperforming? Are there standouts? Or what's, if you had to tell us as an industry what your perception is, which is, might not be scientific, but um, it's a data point. Uh, well, I actually, I, I'm from Spokane, uh, Spokane, Washington. And we, like four years ago, had a really bad windstorm that knocked out power, I think, for like 80% of the city. I, wow. I, yeah, I was, I was luckily in this one city block, just in the middle, just like in the middle of the, of the, of the Southern neighborhoods, just this one block that somehow had power going power in it the whole time. So I was, I was unbelievably lucky, but I was working, you know, I worked in a, in a casino that employed 1700 people. So I mm. was able to hear kind of everyone's takes. Yep. And, uh, recovery was actually recovery was actually fairly slow for residential areas the the business businesses were were back were back up fairly regularly so i guess uh there there was a certain cut there was a certain cutoff point where people stopped giving the utility a vista by the way was uh the stopped giving them the benefit of the doubt and that was basically mm -hmm. when the food in their fridge went bad and they had to throw it right away. yeah <laughs> yeah I, I feel like people under people are people are willing to come come together like you said, dur during during times of hardship, the company I worked for, in fact, they let people without water uh, use the hotel use the hotel showers before their shifts. 
and and that sort of thing. So people are coming together and do uh, in that communal sort of way, and they were understanding when you know power is slowly coming back on in some areas, but not necessarily in their area. But there did seem to be a limit to people's patience in regards to that. Yeah. That's all I would say. I think as, me as a utility customer, I live in in Denver, and I mean we haven't you know had the same level of of, of disasters that that other parts of the country have experienced. You know, fingers fingers crossed. But um, I mean, I've actually been impressed with with Excel and even just sending out text messages. I mean, things like you talked about, Greg, of of just that that extra bit of communication just to give people a sense right. of what's going on um, mm -hmm. has been really helpful. Where you know, even a few years ago, that that wouldn't be the case, and and you were really left wondering, you know, what's what's going to happen. <laughs> um, I think from I think from just you know, my perspective as an industry analyst, looking at at, at what's going on uh, across different utilities, it seems like there's there's really this, you know, understanding that things have gotten better. I mean, from from what you talked about with uh, the the communications to customers, all the way to you know this this grid hardening, um, you know, introducing more digitalization yeah. and automation across the grid, right. utilities are definitely seeing improvements. Sometimes though, they they find it hard to communicate that to their community, right? Saying, hey, this could have been uh, a lot worse than it than it was. Right. And yes, you lost power, but it could have been out for a week as opposed to maybe a couple hours or, you know, a few minutes. Uh, so I think that's, that's probably a little bit of the struggle is helping people understand, hey, you know, we really are improving this, even though you may experience some level of outage, you know, it's not nearly as bad as it, as it could have been even just a few years ago. I think that's a fair point, and when we we really struggle with not trying to say this is how bad it could have been. Yeah. Um, yeah. And because I don't know that um, I, I don't know that 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 sits well with customers when they hear it from us. I think I think a peer has credibility to tell them that, and that's what I see on social media. So you know. It, it is my job to monitor those digital channels and sentiment. And one of the observations that I would make is that, um, you know, there, there are going to be some customers whose whose pain threshold is lower or tolerance is lower. But mm -hmm. social media has created an interesting sort of um, community of conversation because I saw a lot of customers defending CenterPoint who did have that understanding or that maybe appreciation or sensitivity. So you may have had a customer who was very negative about our response. And then, you know, you had another customer saying, are you kidding me? You know, their employees are sleeping out in the staging center. We see it and they're taken away from their families. And so it's been really interesting that in some ways we haven't had to be on the defense because there, there are a group of customers out there that are defending us to other customers. And I thought that was an interesting paradigm. I do, I do a lot of community work in Denver. And yeah, I mean, when you, when you do that sort of work, I mean, whether, you know, and for me, it's a volunteer within the community. I mean, you know, within CenterPoint, you know, you're, you're serving the whole, the whole area and pretty much all, all customers out there. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, people are, can be quick to judge, uh, when something's not done, you know, the way they would have liked. But I, I've been surprised at the the people that will, you know, jump onto social media and say, hey, you know, a lot of the work that that I do, it's it's volunteer work and, 
you know, I mean, people really do step up and say, you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes into this that maybe you don't fully understand. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah. um, yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting sort of the back and forth that can happen on social media. You know, one of the big comments that we hear in the call center is, you know, hey, the people across the street from me have their lights and we don't. (laughs) Why? Or, you know, your trucks are going right down the street. We just saw them and they didn't stop. You know, and but they don't understand how the grid is designed and how, you know, circuits flow from, you know, different assets on our system and substations, you know, and so they don't understand that you could be across the street from someone and on a different circuit, you know. So one of the things we did is we were listening to social media and, you know, this is what social media has created an opportunity for us. Once we knew where maybe were the four top questions in our phone center, we just grabbed the VP of customer service very informally and very on an ad hoc basis and, you know, had a camera there and stood him up in the phone center and just kind of asked those four questions to him and had him sort of explain. And, you know, you saw in the backdrop of the call center agents on the phone, so it made it human. So they saw the people on the phone talking to customers. And then you had the VP of customer service there. And, you know, our digital team would show the question, would come in and sort of a, a digital writing. And then you had the VP of customer service answering the question. And that was one of our highest rated videos and most watched, <laughs> right? So then I, even if I wasn't hearing what I needed to hear on social media, then I was able to hear that through the digital channels, right? I was able to hear the answer to my question. And then that also helped the customers who want to be those advocates for you also tell your story to other customers because, you know, I don't know, I don't know if you all um, follow um, Edelman, but they did a trust study, I want to say last year, and they've talked about how this whole pyramid of trust where maybe you used to have, you know, people like me, a senior vice president at the top, because I have a title, I'm trusted. Well, it appears that that pyramid is turned upside down or the triangle's upside down. So who appears to be the most trusted now is a peer or that employee that's at the very tip of our service that we provide, like a customer service rep or a field crew. Uh, what the trust study is saying is that they're they're more credible when we're telling our story. And it kind of makes sense, right? And so sometimes when you're telling your story, there are other people out there who are advocating for you and you can be educating them to sort of carry that water forward for you. And that's even easier now with, with social media. Cause the thing is, is that, you know, you can, you can explain to people at any time how the grid works, but they're probably not going to be willing to sit down, read, read that out and <laughs> care about it until their power's out, in which case they can't right. turn the computer on. But now we've got, exactly. you know, we've, got we've got all these avenues uh, where even without power, people can still use their phones to, to, you know, get the get the information they need and understand that sort of thing. One thing I would be interested to know uh, would be because you know something like a something like a windstorm, something like a hurricane. That's a that's a single event that does that does a lot of damage, and then you take the time to right. rebuild. But I would be interested to know what the you know what what it's like being in the call center for a utility like that was affected by like the California wildfires, the Oregon wildfires events that lasted right. like weeks, mm-hmm. like almost months, yeah. maybe I can't remember exactly how long it was. And that that's got an on that's putting ongoing strain on the grid. I, I'd be interested to, if you're, if you worked in a, if you worked for a, for a California or Oregon utility affected by those wildfires, feel free to hit us up on, 
on Twitter at Z Prime Research, send us a direct message or something. I have someone I can refer you to at PG&E, um, their chief customer officer. I'd be happy to refer her to you. We actually have what we um, call customer service week for utilities coming up. And um, she, myself, and the um, chief customer officer from Duke Energy will be having that very same conversation with our peer utilities, which is about you know what we're seeing in these events. And, and I think you're rightfully pointing out the hurricane or the flood for Centerpoint was very different than the forest fires that PG&E had to deal with. And so we spend a good amount of time, you know, trying to share our stories and talk about what worked and maybe what could have worked better. Um, and so um, I, I have a contact I'd be happy to refer you to to have that conversation. Yeah, make a, make a good podcast. Uh, you know, I, I applaud y'all for doing these kinds of, you know, podcast and, you know, creating these dialogues because, you know, it really does take a dialogue. There is context behind some of these activities and it is really easy to take things for granted. You know, I'm sure there are services that I get from, you know, my, you know, content providers, you know, which one of us are not upset when, you know, Netflix isn't available and winter is coming, right? <laughs> um, you know, it, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes amongst all of these service providers. And, you know, just my observation in general is that we have very committed and dedicated employees who really want to do the right thing for customers. And oftentimes, what's standing in between the customer being satisfied with what they need are real challenges and barriers. And, you know, we, you know, we, we have so many things available to us. I mean, who would ever thought? Like, of course, when you come home and you turn that light switch on, you just expect it to be there, right? You don't really think about the power plant several miles away that, you know, is burning natural gas or it could be a nuclear facility. You don't, you're not thinking about all of the nuances and all of the things in the engineering paradigm that happen, have to happen just right for that power to be transmitted across those lines and then step down to the substation and then to your wire that comes to your you, – there's not always an appreciation for how delicate that is. And I don't know that we'll ever be able to really explain that to everybody or bring them into it. But, you know, it's not the simplest thing to get done on, in the world, but it's always good when, when there is an awareness that the folks who are sitting behind that and, you know, have every interest in mind to, you know, respond or to meet the customer's needs um, as well as they can. And, and I can attest to that. You know, we have very committed employees, and that's probably the success of any company. Certainly ours is our dedicated employees. In the risk of taking this conversation back a little bit, one thing I did want to say, um, we were talking about water cooler talk. I After the storms hit, um, I actually attended a conference in the southeast uh, portion of the country, uh, which was heavily attended by a lot of utilities. So a lot of those utility workers that were at the conference had been involved in recovery efforts, whether it was for uh, Harvey, Irma, or Maria. Um, and actually, one thing that I did notice after talking to a lot of these field crew workers um, was one of the biggest challenges they had during their recovery efforts was simple things like not knowing um, 
if they need to pack a lunch for a whole week because they're going to be staying in a hotel, like you mentioned, um, yeah. and how are they going to afford that? So I just really have to applaud you guys at Centerpoint for thinking about those things because um, in my experience, at least talking to those, um, a lot of those field crews, um, simple details like that um, really hindered their ability to get some of these tasks done. Um, so I think, you know, wow. the fact that you guys went ahead and thought those things out, where should they stay? Um, that that's amazing. I just really have to applaud you guys because I think it's something that can get overlooked um, and can be kind of detrimental to the uh, yeah, success of your, of your operation. Yeah. So um, yeah, that, that's definitely uh, something that was on the top of their minds um, in terms of, you know, challenges yeah. to overcome that they wouldn't necessarily expect to pop up, but certainly did come to light. I would hope that that's the last thing our employees are worried about is what they're going to eat. You know, we I would probably say that logistics is probably one of the most important attributes of our emergency operations procedures. I mean, we stand up a whole organization of people. We already have contracts signed with food vendors. We already have locations that are set up for pre-staging sites with tents or hotels. I mean, that's as important as anything. Because those employees that are out there doing that work, that's your most important asset, not necessarily the hardware. It is, it are, it is those people who, who are making those just-in-the-moment decisions about what to do to get the system back up. And so, you know, but I will tell you this. I think our employees were very appreciative that they didn't have to worry about those things. So if you were in the phone center walking back and forth from the hotel to the phone center, you know, breakfast was served in a general area. It was catered in. Your lunch was served. Your dinner was served. You know, you didn't, you just didn't, uh, we don't want our employees worrying about those things. You know, our focus should be on our customers. And that's sort of how we think about it. I think that's a, I think that's a good place to leave it. Thank you very much for this uh, discussion on grid resiliency from a from a from a human perspective as well as from a technology perspective. It was very enlightening. Thank you. Yeah, thank you all for having the conversation. I'd like to thank my co-hosts, uh, Christine. Thank you for being on today. Yeah, absolutely, Dylan, and and thank you so much, Greg. It was it was great to to be able to peek inside of of some of Centerpoint's operations and and see how you deal with these these disasters. No more 500-year storms for Centerpoint <laughs> for a long time, hopefully. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Yes, definitely. And Aaron? Uh, thanks, Dylan. And Greg, thank you. Uh, it's always nice to have someone else uh, on the podcast throwing out a few y'alls. I don't really get too many out of uh, Christine and Dylan. So thank you for that. Oh, they'll get used to it. If you want to see our research and our media, you can find it at etsinsights.com. We're on social media at Z Prime Research, at DY Lockwood, at HC underscore Richards, at Aaron underscore Hardick. Thank you for listening. My name is Dylan, and we'll see you all next time. Mm-hmm.